This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 4, verse number 7. Now, mind you, we've been out of James for the last uh, seven weeks, and so if you missed the first part of this verse, we're still, we're still in verse number 7. Uh, we, we, I preached the first part of that, submit yourselves unto God, and we talked about lordship and submission. That if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you'll submit to him. He calls the shots, he's the boss, he does, uh, you do what you're told. Uh, you don't ask questions, you just obey if Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the first part of this verse assumes the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, uh, again, as we look through this, uh, verse number seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Entitled tonight's message, Victory Over Satan. Interesting to know, first of all, from the very get-go, submission to God will cause us to stand against the devil. You cannot live for Jesus and live for the world, your flesh, or the devil at the same time. They're just incompatible. They don't work together. So if you're going to choose to submit yourself to God, then you're going to have to disconnect from Satan and the works of darkness and the works of evil. Got to. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. But the problem is, is that when we submit ourselves to Christ and we submit ourselves to, to the authority of God's word, sin comes knocking. Temptation will find you. The devil gets your phone number and he keeps calling and won't hang up. And so we're, we have this draw that constantly is there. Yes, I'm submitted to Christ. Yes, I want to live for Jesus. But temptation comes my way, and you can't have it both ways. The most disappointed Christian is the type of Christian who will try to play both ends. Yes, I want some Jesus, but only enough to make me feel better because I want to continue to wallow in my sin. But the problem is, as you wallow in your sin, the Holy Spirit inside of you says, hey, this isn't right And yet as you pursue Christ, also knowing that you're not willing to let go of your sin, you can't fully embrace Christ. And again, the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, wait, we can't live like this. And the Holy Spirit is a gift from God for every single believer. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That when you sin against God, there's something in the depths of your soul, in your spirit that connects with God that says, this isn't right, let's not do this anymore. Now, we can do a couple of things with the Holy Spirit. This is not a, a, a message tonight on pneumatology or study of the Holy Spirit. There, but there's some things we can do with the Holy Spirit when it convicts us of sin. We can obey the Holy Spirit and repent. You're right. I'm sorry. I don't want to do this. And I'm going to change my direction. The word repent means to change direction. Or we can sin against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, don't do it. And you say, shut up. I'm going to do it my own way anyways. For those of you kids that are here tonight, that's not a good word to ever say, especially, especially to the Holy Spirit, okay? But we don't say that word at all. I forget that I'm preaching to kids sometimes. Uh, But when we refuse the Holy Spirit, how about that? That's a good appropriate uh, word. We refuse the Holy Spirit, 
and we've grieved the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And then once we've grieved the Holy Spirit and we get into a pattern of habitual sin, here's the most dangerous place that you can be. The Bible says that we can quench the Holy Spirit. When we quench the Holy Spirit, we basically put it out. We think of like a, a fire and you pour a, a bucket of water over the top of it and put it out. And the problem is when you quench the Holy Spirit, that voice that's saying, hey, don't do this, isn't speaking anymore. Well, it's speaking, you just don't hear it. I love my, uh, my wife's grandmother. She's in heaven now. But sometimes when she would be sitting at the table and she'd get tired of talking, she'd just take her hearing aids and she'd turn them off and she'd just sit there and smile. She was, she was awesome as the day is long. Uh, but she was a blast to be around because she'd just sit there and smile. And you try to talk to her and she'd just grin. It didn't bother her a bit. I thought, man, if I was so bold, that would be awesome. Like, I don't have a hearing aids, but I could take, like, earplugs and, like, stick them in. That would be considered rude, probably. But think of this when we have quenched the Holy Spirit. You take your hearing aids and you turn them off where you don't even hear that any longer. Let me tell you this as a Christian, that's the most dangerous place in the world to be because every fail-safe system in the world that's telling you that something's wrong has been shut down and you're just going to go off the cliff and there's nothing there to stop you. I remember when we lived in uh, California uh, and we had to get our, our smog done every year. Uh, man, I'm thankful Hawaii doesn't have to get smog checks. And so they put this thing in your, in your exhaust pipe, and they test it for all these different types of emissions and things like that. And if you failed, then you had to go to a different place and get it fixed so that you pass smog and stuff like that. Well, if your check engine light was on, you couldn't even pass the smog. Like, they, they turn your key over, and the check engine light uh, comes on. You, you automatic fail. And so... I dug into my dash, because we were broke, I couldn't afford to fix it, dug into my dash and popped out my check engine light, thinking like, oh, perfect, like, never going to come on, right? I'm genius, and you know it, right? You're sitting there thinking like, wow, my pastor is such a genius. That's probably not what you're thinking. Uh, but here's what happened. So I think I'm a genius. I've outsmarted the system. I go there, and they say, hey, your bulb on your check engine light's out. And I was like, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. It, it just, it's just not on. They say, no, when you turn the key over all the way without starting it, all the lights on the dash light up, but your check engine bulb is out. I think we're going to check and see if it needs the bulb replacement. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the case at all. Guess what? That didn't work. And so I, you know, I wasn't as smart as I thought that I was. But here's the idea. Quenching the Holy Spirit is like popping the bulb on your check engine light so that you don't hear the problem anymore. It's like your brakes are grinding at the stoplight, but you just turn the radio up so you don't hear your brakes grinding. I've done that before, too. It doesn't fix the problem, it only makes it more dangerous. So when you quench the Holy Spirit and you can't hear the Holy Spirit talking to you any longer, that's a dangerous place to be because you can sin willfully against God and you don't even feel bad. People say things like, how could a Christian man leave his wife and children? He's quenched the Holy Spirit. He doesn't feel any guilt from that, he doesn't feel any remorse from that. How can a, a mother neglect her own children if she's a Christian? And if, if she's a Christian, she's quenched the Holy Spirit where she doesn't feel guilt any longer for what she's done. Dangerous place to be Christian. And if you ever find yourself there where you can continue to sin against God and sin against God and sin against God and not even feel badly about it, you really need a quick spiritual checkup because you're like inches away from ruining your life. So again, I got to check my heart and make sure that I'm listening to the Holy Spirit because when I submit myself to God... I'm going to stand against the devil. Victory over Satan comes from continued resistance. I love this verse. Again, so simple, but so true. 
verse number seven. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So get this. You have at your disposal the recipe, the battle plan to defeat the devil in battle 100% of the time. This is not like a 50% of the time this will work and 50% of the time you should try something else. No, no, no. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Notice, this is not a fair fight. We're guaranteed victory as long as we stick to the battle plan. What's the battle plan? Don't give in. I'm going to continue to say, no, 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 no. And here's what the Bible says. The devil will flee. The word flee means to run. So here's the, here's the thing about the devil. The devil is not, does not have infinite resources the way that our God does. He's not infinitely powerful the way that our God is. So when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's a fact. So when it comes to fighting against Satan, against evil, against sin, you and I, if we're Christians, we have the upper hand. We've already been given the recipe for victory. So, but to resist the devil, we need to make sure that we understand it. So to understand, we have to understand our enemy to ensure our victory. (coughs) So, Again, tonight we're going to take a look at at who is Satan. Is he a formidable foe? Is he as dangerous as everybody makes him out to be? First of all, Satan is a created being. What does that mean? That means he has not always been. He will not always be. He is created just as the angels of heaven are created. Now, that's important because if Satan... We're an eternal, uncreated being that he would have many of the same attributes as God. But he doesn't. He's a created being. He has a definite beginning. He was originally an angel in heaven. So because he is a created being, he's also a limited being. He is not all-powerful the way that God is. He's not all-knowing the way that God is. He can't be all places at all time like God can. He doesn't have the power that our God has. Whatever power he has has been given to him in a limited capacity by God himself. And so we see that when it comes to battling Satan, is Satan a a formidable foe? For sure, if you're unprepared. Is Satan a dangerous foe? Definitely, if you're ignorant. Is Satan a dangerous enemy to have? If you're not looking out, for sure. The Bible says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's on the hunt for somebody who's weak. Someone who's not going to put up much of a fight. You know why? Get this. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but if you resist the devil, he'll flee. You know what that means? He's looking for easy prey. He's not looking for someone who wants to continue to put up a fight, someone who wants to continue to argue, someone who wants to stand against him. He's going to move on to the next easy target. 
So the best thing I can do to protect myself against the devil is ensure that I'm not an easy target. Satan's also doomed to eternal judgment. Satan is not in hell with a pitchfork poking people and laughing, nor will he ever be. Hell is a place created for punishment for everyone there. And when Satan is cast into hell, which he will be, read Revelation chapter 22. When Satan is cast into hell, and he will be, he will be there tormented under the wrath of God like every other person in hell will be as well. He's not running anything in hell. That's a fact. And his judgment has already been prejudged. Strangest thing in the world, um, I was in, in teen camp as a teenager, um, and I remember we went, had gone to camp and somebody was praying for, they were praying for like something, I don't want to say s- simple, but something like praying for a meal or something. And they said something along the lines like, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to seek the lost and that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, we pray that uh, Satan himself would even be saved. Amen. And I was just like, I looked around like, did anybody else hear what he just, he just prayed for the salvation of Satan? Like, and like, I went and asked my youth pastor, and he's just like, yeah, that's just something weird that I guess people do sometimes. I was like, I'm not buying that. So I went up to the guy. I'm like all of like 14. He was like, excuse me, like pulling on his like shirt. Like, did you just pray that the devil would be saved? And he was like, oh yeah, I believe that, I believe that God can do anything. Doesn't the Bible say that the devil goes to hell though? Yeah, but I believe that God's gracious to everyone. And again, smart mouth, 14-year-old. But if Satan got saved and he didn't go to hell, wouldn't that mean that God's breaking his word? Yeah, run along, kid. (laughs) But I thought to myself, like at 14, I couldn't wrap my mind around the idea. No, Satan will never be saved. He is prejudged. He will endure the wrath of God in hell for all of eternity. The, the other thing about us as Christians, too, is Satan doesn't have the power to take your salvation from you. That's settled. Once you've been saved, you'll be saved forever. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and nothing can take your name out of that book. You're held in the hand of the Father. Nobody can take you out of your Father's hand. So people say, well, does that mean once you're saved, you're always saved? Absolutely. And look, if you could lose your salvation, you would. I would lose my salvation. I'm not good enough to keep it. I wasn't good enough to earn it. I can't be good enough to keep it. I received it by grace, and I, I maintain my salvation only by the grace of God, not by any works that I've done or, or things that I haven't done. But let me tell you this. The devil, he can't steal your salvation, but he can steal your joy. Now, I think this is an important part, too, to stop for just a second and say that the devil is not... Even uh, opinion, Um, let me classify this, quantify this. We're entering to an area where Anthony King is about to give his opinion. Is everybody okay with that? Okay, here we go. I don't even think that the devil is the most powerful enemy that you and I will face. I think the most powerful enemy that you and I face will be ourselves. The Bible says that we need to be on guard against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I think my flesh is, is much stronger than any satanic attack that I've faced in my life. End opinion piece, okay? Pick it back up with the Bible. Again, our flesh is strong. But here's the thing. The devil knows enough about us to know where we're weak. Again, there's certain temptations if you give to me, uh, it's just not going to work. 
I mean, if you put a, a six-pack of beer in the fridge, it's going to sit there until Jesus comes back, and I'm not touching it. I'm just going to get mad and throw it out because it's taking up space in my fridge. Not a temptation for me at all. You put your arm around me after a service and say, nobody's ever preached the Bible the way that you have. I'll say, tell me more. <laughs> hmm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was a good one this morning, wasn't it? You like that? What was your favorite part? Hmm, yeah. You know Why? Because the devil knows he can't get me with alcohol, but he could surely rope me in really quickly with pride. So again, my flesh is already vulnerable. The world will deceive me, and the devil just comes and puts traps along the way. But look, for the guy who continues to go back to pornography night after night after night after night, please understand that's not the devil, that's your sinful flesh. Stop blaming on the devil and take ownership for your own spiritual well-being. For the person who continues in sexual sin, for the person who continues in addiction, for the person who continues in gossip, for the person who continues with the desire to be liked or loved or someone to want them, please understand that's not the devil, that's your flesh. And you need to guard against that. Again, it... it, grieves me when people want to blame things like infidelity on all oh, the devil just got me no the devil didn't get you in a bar alone with another woman at two o'clock in the morning the devil didn't wake you up and send you down there to get you in that mess you got yourself in it so again we need to identify what is a satanic attack and what is not a satanic attack for sure and how do we know that really we don't there's been in, in times in my life where I have felt intense spiritual oppression. That I would say the things that were taking place were a satanic attack for sure. There's been things that happened in our church before that I have known for a fact have been a satanic attack. And there's other things that happen that just are, are carnal Christians being carnal Christians. There's other times that what the world has is really flashy and we want to chase after that. And that gets us tripped up because our heart is in love with the world because our heart's not in love with Christ. So again, we need to be really careful that we don't lump all of our problems in the big wheelbarrow and call it the devil. Oh, here's all my problems. I'm going to dump that out because the the devil's just wrecking my life here. Look, the devil, if his only job was wrecking my life, would be super easy. His job would be easy because I wreck my own life plenty. I don't need a lot of satanic opposition to wreck my life. I can do that on my own with my own carnal flesh. Now, can Satan put landmines in my way that draw me, that have flashing lights, that attract me for sure. But we need to understand when it comes to the sin that we face on a day-to-day basis, is Satan opposed to us for sure? Does Satan hit our guts? Definitely. But we need to be really careful that we don't blame all of our shortcomings on somebody that's not even their work. And I always challenge people, don't give the devil more power than he actually has. When it comes to the devil, Satan is the enemy of both God and man. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 17, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul said, I needed to keep my pride in check, and so I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, put your thinking cap on for a second. 
who gave Paul the thorn in the flesh? Was it Satan or was it God? Doesn't really say, does it? You're thinking really hard, weren't you? Doesn't really say. But here's what we do know about God. Did God allow Paul to receive a thorn in the flesh? Absolutely. Did God take away Paul's thorn in the flesh? Nope. But this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. Now, was it a literal thorn in the flesh? Most people think not. Some people think it was a health ailment or uh, somebody that was causing him grief in his life or things like that. We don't know what it was. And anybody who wants to, here's three things that Paul's thorn in the flesh was. We don't know none of that. And so you're just, you're just guessing. Because, again, let me help you with a, a biblical interpretation uh, nugget right here. When the Bible is vague, it's purposely vague. When the Bible's specific, it's perfectly specific. If Paul wanted us to know what the thorn in the flesh was, he would say, my thorn in the flesh, which was when I broke my pinky toe on my right foot, I asked God to take that away from me, but he didn't say that. Oh, my thorn in the flesh, which was this guy at the church that just kept riding me constantly. He was on my case and I couldn't shake it. My thorn in the flesh, which was this health ailment that I had. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I had a thorn in the flesh. I couldn't get rid of it. I asked God to take it away three times. It was a messenger directly from Satan himself. And God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. So again, our trials many times can be satanically influenced, for sure. But at the same time, our, our trials, while satanically influenced, can be God's grace holding us up through that. Sustained by the grace of God. So again, when we talk about satanic influence and things like that, we're not talking about this, this dark, terrible situation that we can't break free from. It grieves me so much to see garbage on the internet of these, you know, demonic releases and demonic exorcisms and all this other nonsense. Know this, if you're a Christian, you can't be possessed by a devil or, or a demon or anything like that. Jesus himself said that, hey, a uh, house divided against itself cannot stand. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can't be possessed with an evil spirit for sure. But again, we're not giving Satan any more credit than he deserves. He hates God, he hates man, and he's working actively against the purposes of God in the life of man. Another thing that we know about Satan is that Satan manipulates the word of God. This is why I impel you. I beseech you to use a Bible word, to become a student of the Word of God. Know the Bible. Have discernment. Look, the devil from the very beginning has been a liar and a twister of God's Word. Genesis chapter 3, the very first appearance that we see of Satan in Scripture when he comes as a snake in the Garden of Eden. The woman says, we can't eat of that tree. And he said, half God said? Did God really say that? I don't think God said that. That's not true. So from the very beginning, Satan has been a manipulator of God's word. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he tempted him three times. And three times Jesus answered with scripture. One time, Satan tempted him with scripture. 
Hey, if you throw yourself off the top of the temple, the Bible says that angels will come lest you dash your foot against a rock here. So please understand, Satan knows the scripture and Satan manipulates the scripture. <laughs> it's so funny when um, unsaved people try to make money off of Christians. There was a, somebody sent me a picture. It was like in a TJ Maxx or something like that, like their home decor section where they have like uh, Christmas decorations. And it was, the, it was the three wise men going across the desert, and it was a big uh, north star up there. Uh, and it said down at the bottom, uh, tell me where he is so I can also come and worship him. And I thought to myself, for those of you that don't know the story, uh, that was what Herod was saying so that he could come and kill Jesus. And so that's not a Christmas decoration you'd hang up in your house. But I thought to myself, how funny is that? People find, like, oh, hey, boss, I found this verse. Yeah, slap it on the three wise men. We'll sell it to TJ Maxx. Got it, you know? Again, if you don't know who said stuff and in what context, context they said it, the Bible can be manipulated to say whatever you want it to say. So that's why I, I, I greatly, greatly encourage you to become a student of God's Word and to know the Bible so that you don't get tricked. I, I had a conversation with a man two decades ago who was leaving his wife. Begged him, please don't do this. Please don't do this. You're sinning against God. Well, David left his wife and married another woman, and God blessed his life. Wait, What? Have you ever even read the Bible? Did you see what happened to David as a result of his sin? Do you realize that every single one of his kids hated his guts and one of his kids tried to kill him? That's what you're trying to emulate with your life? Well, I didn't know that. I just knew that God blessed his life and he was courageous because he fought a giant. No, 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 no. You don't understand the Bible. You're trying to take two sentences out of the Bible and use it to... To, to justify your wretched sin. No, 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 no. Please understand, that's precisely what the devil does. Look, you will know that you are a carnal Christian when you don't want to hear anybody what anybody else has to say. You just want to find a verse that says what you're doing is okay. Guarantee. I don't want to talk to my pastor. I don't want to seek wisdom. I don't want to hear from godly, wise friends. I just want to find that one verse that gives me permission to do what I want. Dangerous, dangerous territory. But Satan is a master manipulator of the word. That's why, again, I encourage you, please know the Bible. Read the Bible every single day. Get a study Bible. Study the Bible every day. Memorize scripture. Prepare for attacks from the devil. See what God's word has to say with your own eyes. Again, people say, well, you know, me and my girlfriend, we're living together before we get married. We're just trying this whole marriage thing out, you know, because marriage is a big commitment. You want to do that. Yeah, but talk about fornication, what the Bible says about that. Well, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, that doesn't really apply. No, it definitely applies. Well, you know, the, the Bible says that marriage is a really big deal, so we just want to try it out first to make sure. No, 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 no. You can't take that part of Scripture that says marriage is a big deal, which it is, and then violate the rest of it that says that fornicators and idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. You, you got to know the Bible. Because Satan will twist the word to get you to sin against God. And please understand this, I know because I have a wretched, wicked, sinful heart. Your heart will twist God's word. 
to sin against God if it's really what your heart wants. That's why, again, first part of this verse, James chapter 4, verse number 7, submit yourselves therefore unto God. He's the boss, not me. He calls the shots, not my heart. He tells me what to do, not me. Satan tempts us with our carnal desires. Satan knows that for you and I, the heart wants what the heart wants, and what the heart wants, the heart gets. That's, that's the way we rationalize things. Again, you look at people that are making terrible decisions in your life, and you say, why are you doing that? I say, it's just what I want. Okay. Satan will use that as a temptation against you. I think of First Chronicles chapter 21, verse number 1. God had told David, David, don't count how many people are in Israel, how many people in your army. I don't want you to trust in that number that you get. I want you to trust in me. Because David was going to do a census of all of Israel. He wanted to find out, hey, how many guys do we have that can fight? If we're going up against an army, how much is enough? How many people am I in charge of all over here? And God says, don't do any of that. I've got you. And David said, hmm, I don't know. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse number 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. So David says, eh, okay, thanks God. Hey guys, could you go ahead and get me a really quick count? David numbered Israel and it was bad. Bad, bad, bad. I don't remember the story exactly, but... 70,000 people, I think, died as a result of it. It was in the tens of thousands, that much I know. Why? Because Satan tempted David to do something that God said not to, and, God, and David did it anyways. That, that, that story right there is a story of how when people say, like, oh, my sin doesn't affect anybody. They should mind their own business. 70,000 people died because of David's sin. What? Your sin affects everybody around you. And so Satan knows the buttons to push. He knows how to get access to your carnal desires. Acts chapter 5, verse number 3. Ananias and Sapphira were a married couple that had sold a piece of land. It was in the early days of the church. They, they came to make an offering to the church. They could have done whatever they wanted to with the money, but they chose to give it to the church, which is a good thing, right? That's a good thing. But here's the problem. They lied about it. And they went to Peter and said, hey, Peter, man, we sold this piece of land, and we're bringing all the money to the church. And Peter goes, wait a minute, did you guys bring all the money? Like all of it, Peter. Mm. Here's what Peter says in Acts chapter 5, verse number 3. And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You see there, Holy Spirit and Satan. Satan's filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, your sin is against God, and to keep back part of the price of land. Why would you do that? Satan caused you to do that. He tempted you and you took the bait. And here's what happened. Ananias fell down dead. And dudes came and picked him up and carried him out and buried him. His wife came in a little bit later. This is, again, my opinion. She was at home. Her curling iron hadn't heated up yet. He was running late. 
She was like, babe, it's going to take me like five more minutes. But he knows that five minutes means 15 minutes, right? He'd been married for a while. He knows. <laughs> and he's like, baby, I got the car running in the garage. Like, and she's like, hey, just go on without me. I'll be there. But you can take the offering. He's like, all right, I got it, babe. And so he went to church first. And she shows up, got her hair all curled and stuff like that, got her makeup on. She had to walk because he'd taken the car. And she shows up late. And they say, hey, that piece of land. She goes, yeah. My husband brought all the money, right? Yeah. That was all of it? She said, that was all of it. He goes, wow. Why did you also lie to the Holy Spirit? And the same guys that took your dead husband out and buried him are going to come and take your dead body out. And she's like, what? And she fell over dead. Crazy. I love the Bible, right? Like, you can't make stories like this up. Except the part about her curling her hair and getting her makeup on. I, I, made, that, I made all that up. But unbelievable. So again, we look and say, what caused them to do that? Satan had tempted them. What was it? Money. What was it for David? Power. What was it when Satan went to Jesus in the wilderness and tempted him? Hey, you've just been fasting for 40 days. You haven't eaten or drinking anything in 40 days. You want something to eat? Take that bread, turn it into a rock if you like. Food. Everybody's got to have food, right? I mean, like, would it be that big of a sin if you turned a, a rock into a piece of bread? I mean, you got to eat, right? And you can't, like, go 41 days without eating and drinking. Yeah, but it would be a sin because you'd be obeying Satan to do it. He takes him up to a high place and says, hey, take a look at all this land out here. If you'll just bow down and worship me, you can have all of it. Power. Takes him up to the temple. Hey, throw yourself off the top of the temple before you make it down to the bottom. The angels will swoop down. They'll rescue you. What was it in that? I don't know. Whether it was notoriety or some great act that would take place that would draw attention to him. But the root of it was pride. Every single time, though, you notice it's some carnal desire. He didn't tempt Jesus. Look, get this, okay? Let me just help you with something. When Satan tempted Jesus to eat after a 40-day fast, he didn't tempt him with, like, kale and broccoli, all right? He tempted him with bread. Like, everybody likes bread. If you're on some diet that doesn't like bread, I'm sorry. You're not like Jesus. Okay, that was a big jump, but I'm, I'm just saying. It was a jump, okay? Some of you took it with me. Some of you didn't. That's fine, okay? But, but no, think about that. All of the, he didn't tempt him with like, oh, if you, if you, if you bow down and worship me, I'm going to take these two rocks and make them bigger. Okay, I don't care about big rocks. Oh, if you do this, I'm going to make it rain. Okay, I don't care if it rains or not. Notice all these temptations were personal, carnal, fleshly desires of power, notoriety, or, or comfort, or desire. That's how Satan works. He tempts us with carnal desire. We know also that Satan's a liar. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse number 44, you're, the father of the de- you're of your father the devil, and the lust of the father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. That phrase, when he speaketh his own, can be translated this way. He speaks in his own native language. Like, like 
His first language is lies. And get this, he's the father of all lies. So sometimes people get bent out of shape with me because, oh, you're always calling out false teaching or false churches or false doctrine or heresy in the church and things like that. Hey, understand this. Any lie about Jesus or lie about the Bible is satanic in origin. Any church that takes the focus off the gospel and places it on man or status or money or miracles and takes the focus off of Jesus as the gospel has been infiltrated by Satan himself because Satan's a liar. Who wants to take the focus off of Jesus? Not God, not the Holy Spirit, only Satan would. You have a religion that's built upon the fact that the works of Christ are not enough, that you've got to do a bunch of stuff too, and then maybe one day you can make it to heaven, we're not really sure. Who's the father of that? According to Jesus in John chapter 8, the devil's the father of those types of religions. And so again, I'm going to ring the alarm bell until my dying breath for people that want to take away the truth of the gospel because it's satanic. When you and I believe lies and things that aren't true about God, we're giving in to satanic lies. I've heard people say things before like, oh, well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. First of all, the devil's not in hell. Secondly, there's no lies coming from hell. There's only wailing and gnashing of teeth. Secondly, you can say that that's a lie straight from Satan himself because that's where lies come from. And I don't have time to go here tonight, so just stick with me for like 15 seconds. When you and allow, I allow our thoughts to think things like God's not good, God doesn't care, God can't be trusted, I don't know if God's got me here. Please understand that every single one of those thoughts are the thoughts of Satan because they're not true. And all those are seeds that he's planted in your head and all you do is you sit and water them all day long by focusing on them and meditating on things that aren't even true. That's why I encourage you, Negadose on the word of God because God's word is truth. Next, Satan is opposed to the gospel. He hates the gospel because the gospel glorifies God. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 19. Jesus is talking about the seed that's sown. Four different types of soil. Same seed, the seed's the word of God. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, that's the Bible, the gospel, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart, this which is received seed by the wayside. So there's the wayside seed that gets planted that somebody thinks on for a little bit and the devil snatches it away. Sometimes when we share the gospel with people, we encourage them to make a decision today because once they leave and the devil begins to work on them, that seed's going to get snatched. That's what the devil does. Sometimes people even come uh, to who we call and pray a prayer and feel really happy afterwards. And then that seed gets snatched away. Were they really saved? I don't know. I don't know if they prayed a prayer to make them feel better or they truly trusted in Christ and repented of their sin. All I know is that seed got snatched somewhere. And here's the thing for me I want you to know as, as your pastor... I carry a burden for stuff like that. No lie, I dropped off my daughter at, at school the other day and I was sitting at the this stoplight there on uh, Pensacola Street coming up there at King. King and Pensacola. I'm sitting at a red light. And she's zipping by on a moped 
a guy who had attended our church six months ago, accepted Christ as Savior, was so thankful, so happy, started discipleship for a week and then fell off the face of the planet. I'm busy. I got stuff going on. I'm really tired. I, I got work. I'm trying to get a new job. I think I want to take a trip to the mainland and stuff like that. Absolutely has no desire for the things of God. I saw him zip by on his moped and it brought up all these just super sad feelings in my heart. Because here I saw a guy who for a moment had some really good seed, but his soil wasn't any good. And it bummed me out. That's the work of the devil. The devil wants to say, hey, you were like super emotional at that church. That wasn't real. That was just you getting hyped up. That was somebody manipulating your emotions, making you feel something. That wasn't real. Because the devil's a liar and he hates the gospel. Paul even says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 18, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul tried to go back to the church of Thessalonica, but he couldn't get there. He says, hey, the hindrance that was taking place was literally Satan keeping me from getting there. Hey, look, again, I'm not trying to, to blame the devil for anything, for, for everything, put it that way. But when your transmission goes out on your van on the way to church on a Sunday morning with four kids in the back seat, please understand that's not coincidence or happenstance. That's 100% the devil. Just mark that down. Now, you're a lazy bum and you don't set an alarm and you just expect to wake up and just show up to church whenever you want and you can't make it. That's not the work of the devil. You're just a lazy bum. So again, let's give credit where credit's due. But no lie, we had a family in our church, faithful family in our church. Man, godly, serving, tithing, brought people to church, led people to Christ, bringing people from their workplace to church who were getting saved, discipling people. On their way to church on a Sunday morning, four kids in the back seat, transmission goes out on their van. What do they do? They call a cab, switch over all their car seats over to the cab, leave their van on the side of the road with the hazard flashes on and go to church. Did you call roadside assistance? No, it's still sitting on the side of the road with the flashes on. When are you going to get it? We figure we do it after church. Love it. Score one against the devil that day, right? I love that spirit. Hey, things happen. I'm not going to let the devil get any victory here. Hey, life's hard. If the devil's at work here, I'm not going to let him win. That's for sure because all I have to do is resist the devil and he'll flee. Satan thrives on confusion and doubt. (laughs) Genesis chapter 3, verse number 13, when Satan tempts... Eve, God says to Eve, the Lord said unto the woman, what is this thou hast done? What did you do? And the woman said, here's what she said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. I was confused. I, I, I was tricked. I, I didn't know. Here's, here's the worst part about it. The Bible tells us in the, the book of Hebrews that Adam knew and he ate anyways. Eve was tricked. Adam wasn't tricked. He knew he was rebelling against God and willfully sinned. And so that's why we say that our sin nature comes from Adam because Adam wasn't tricked into doing something he shouldn't have. He willingly rebelled against God. But Satan thrives on confusion, thrives on doubt. (coughs) Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling a parable of uh, the the fields and the fields are, are people. And There's true believers, and that's the wheat of the field. 
And so the, the farmer goes and plants seed, and he's got a, a field full of wheat. And then Jesus says that the enemy comes at night and plants tares. Tares are basically weeds. They look like wheat, but when you go to, to actually harvest them, there's nothing inside. It's basically empty. It's, it's worthless. It's just a weed. And so the enemy came at night and sowed tares, these weeds in the field. And then they sprang up next to the wheat, and you couldn't tell which one was which. And so the servant says, what do we do? And the master says, don't do anything. When the harvest comes, then we'll separate the wheat from the chaff. And Jesus says, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. There's real Christians and there's fake Christians. And sometimes they spring up next to each other so that you can't even tell which one is which. And so you and I might say, okay, how do we get rid of the fake Christians? You don't. The master will sort those out at the harvest, which is going to be judgment in eternity. So awesome story, but here's a question. Who sowed the tares? Who sowed the, the weeds? Satan did. Satan's, again, master of confusion. Wait a minute. This guy says he's a Christian, but he just did that? Like, how does that work? Hmm, I'm not sure that guy was a Christian. Now, again, not our place to say whether or not somebody's saved or not. All we can do is judge fruit. But I don't know. That's not how Christians act. That's for sure. And so, again, we need to understand that if if you're confused... The Bible says God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So if you're confused, it's not from God. It's definitely from the devil. And if you're confused, there's one place that can help you get your head right. Where is that? Anybody want to help me? The Word of God, 100% of the time. It brings clarity. Oh, I see what's happening here. Okay, that makes sense. Got it. Oh, I Yeah, that makes sense now. Okay. So again... If you're living in a life of confusion and doubt and you don't have clarity that you need, please understand that's not from God. God wants you to have absolute laser beam focus and clarity on what you're supposed to do. So the devil thrives on lies. The devil thrives on confusion. We resist the devil, not just by stealing up and working really hard to try to just stay really still and hope he goes away. We resist Satan through the use of Scripture. Jesus three times was, was tempted by Satan. Three times he answered with Scripture. And here's what happened. Satan tempted three times. Three times Jesus answered with Scripture. And then after the third time, the devil left. That's what the Bible says. So, again, reason 118, why your pastor wants you to know the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed therefore according to thy word. But also to resist the devil. Yeah, I'm not going to do that because the Bible says X. Yeah, I'm not going to take a second look at that because the Bible says flee youthful lust. Yeah, I'm not going to go over there and hang out with those people because the Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. Yeah, I'm not going to let something like that damage my testimony because the Bible says let not your, your good be evil spoken of. 
yeah, I don't need to know any more about that trash that's going on on TV because the Bible says that I should be simple concerning those things that are evil. I just, I don't even need to know about that. Bible verses help you have that level of clarity. The word guides us into truth and away from error. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You you know what a, a lamp is good for? Showing the way. God's word will guide you every single step along the way. So again, memorize scripture, meditate on scripture, put scripture on a three by five card, put it in your pocket, live by it. The word brings clarity to confusion. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I might behold the wondrous things out of thy law. Hey, help me to read Scripture and it come alive to me. Help me to have clarity in my day-to-day walk as I see things in Scripture playing themselves out in the world that we live in today. I want to see things through a biblical perspective, through a biblical lens. The Word allows us to keep our heart free from sin and resist temptation. Man, you messed up? Fix it. Well, I don't know how to fix it. Yes, you do. The Bible tells you how. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I know, but I just feel really bad about it. Don't feel bad because you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. I know, but I keep doing this again and again. Okay, stop doing it. Well, I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. Romans 6. Yield yourselves as members, as instruments to righteousness, not unrighteousness. Well, that's really hard. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, well, I don't know that many Bible verses. Good. Learn them. Resisting the devil requires you to know the word of God so that you can stand against him. And if you stand against him, eventually he's going to quit. Please get this through your head. I'm just going to say it once. You do not have to sin. Every time you sin, it's a choice. It might be an unconscious, automatic choice, but it's a choice. A conditioned response, maybe. But you don't have to sin. You've been given power to resist the devil. You've been given power over sin. Final thought is back where we started. We resist Satan by submission to God. Turn over to Romans 6 if you would. Final verse we'll take a look at tonight and we're done. Romans chapter 6, verse number 11. I can't wait to get to Romans 6 when we get our study through Romans. It's going to be be so much fun. I can't wait to get through Romans 1. I think we'll get through it at some point. Uh, But uh, Romans chapter 6, verse number 11. Maybe you need to circle these verses in your Bible. Maybe you need to commit these to memory. And if you're struggling with power over sin, I just encourage you to memorize the entire chapter of Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6, verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. There it is. Verse number 11. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. You can only serve one master. You'll either serve Jesus Christ or you serve your sin, your flesh, and the devil. You can't do both. Jesus says no man can serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. So I say to you, I don't think anybody tonight is choosing to join Team Satan. That would be terrible, right? But here's the thing. Satan, when he tempts you, doesn't send you a red t-shirt in the mail with a pentagram on it that says Team Satan, does he? Because you'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm so appalled. Get this. I'm going to burn this. No, I'm not going to burn it because it'll be black smoke that'll turn into like a black cat or something. Like we'd be so like skeeved out by something like that, right? But here's the thing. Satan doesn't come to you with a, a Team Satan t-shirt in the mail. He comes to you and says, hey, not that big of a deal. What's a big deal? I mean, really? You're not that bad. And you say, oh, yeah, not that bad. Well, I mean, can you really think of like a chapter and a verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't do that? I mean, come on. No, nobody's doing that. It's fine. You'll be okay. Satan's a liar. One of the, the lies that I've seen Satan perpetrate in churches is the people that really love you and care you, about you, Satan will tell you that they don't. Whether it's your family, those people that really care about your spiritual well-being and, and love for you, they're willing to say, hey, is everything okay? Something seems a little bit off with you. Oh, they're just trying to get in my business. They don't care about me. They just want to talk about me or something like that. And man, Satan feeds this lie. Please understand this. At this church, everybody here that I know of has nothing but love for you and nothing but a desire for you to, to grow in your spiritual walk. We just want the best for you. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's down on you. Nobody's against you. Everybody's for you. But I refuse to allow people to, lie, to buy into the lies of the devil. I refuse to allow people to give themselves over to their own flesh and not be willing to raise a flag. Hey, something's not right here. And here's the thing I believe. I believe that spiritual Christians want accountability. They want to avoid the devil. They want to avoid sin at all costs and that they welcome relationships that will help them to be stronger Christians. I believe that. I believe that carnal Christians want to disregard all the red flags because they just want what they want. And here's the sick part about all that of, of the heart wanting what the heart wants. This is deep, and so I, I, I just want you to probably, it's deep for me. You're, you're probably much deeper than I am, but it's deep for me. For you and I to disobey God and to give in to the temptation of the devil 
means that we would be willing to betray our Savior and buddy up with Satan himself just to get what we want. Man, that just sounds nasty. But we do it. But let's fix it. For me, I, I've tried to really be aware. Probably the last couple of years of my life, I've asked myself the question, why a lot? Well, I want to do this. Why do I want to do that? Uh, I want to I go here on vacation. Why do I want to go there? I want to eat here tonight. Why do I want to eat there? Oh, I, I got to have this tonight. Why do I got to have that tonight? Why am I watching this show? What causes me to sit and scroll documentaries on Netflix for six hours at a time? Like, why? And that's helpful to me. Because sometimes in asking myself the question why, I realized, I think I've been deceived. I think I've been tricked. And I don't like being tricked. So I'm asking you, examine your heart. Are you fully submitted to God? Fully. Fully surrendered. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the boss. I just do what I'm told. If so, then you have the power within you to resist the devil. But please understand at this point, what, whenever you don't resist the devil, you're not submitted to God any longer. So you got to pick a side. And so we know where God's blessings lie in submission to Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.